Jordan, thank you very much for joining me on the show, man. I appreciate you being here, dude. Pleasure, man. Long time. Long time in the works. Looking forward to this one. Yeah, no, it's sick, man. It's sick. It's it's really, really interesting. Again, like I get to talk to a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds, but but for you, you kind of hit a few big points home for me. Uh being in the UK, I played rugby from the age of six up to nineteen to a pretty high standard and it's uh, i mean it's, it's really really fucking cool to be able to sit down with someone that, that has specialized in this to a very very high degree and then stepping on from that all of the work that you do in the gym that obviously has now just become my life and i'm obsessed with so dude trying to get inside of your brain i'm so fucking excited to start kind of siphoning some of that knowledge out so it's uh, it's wicked you could be here dude dude i'm trying to get out of it so there's space to rent <laughs> i could take that i can take that that's absolutely fine so um like for you i think it's 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 really really interesting again with all the various different dynamics that you kind of have in terms of like your training arsenal and the tools that you have at your disposal so i wanted to hop off on, on the rugby thing because i think it is very very interesting for a lot of people as probably over in the states obviously it's not a huge sport but for here it's like it's one of our national sports man so it's really interesting to hear someone like from Canada doing all this sort of work with guys over in America in a sport that isn't really even played over there. So coming into that, what was your whole kind of like background with playing rugby, that sport? How did you have to adapt all of your training teaching into that? Right. Yeah. I mean, so I grew up like everyone in Canada, man, I played, I played hockey, probably a similar fashion though you with rugby, like, you know, play to a pretty high standard and it's just what you did. It was as much as religion as the Catholic church growing up in Canada. So I moved into California and then it really kind of fell into my lap. I had like a patient of mine who was like a director at Stanford and um, they were having issues internally with staff and I had a strength conditioning background from my undergraduate. I'd done some work with the uh, Canadian Olympic training facility based out of Toronto and um, just had kind of like uh, a pedigree for just like kind of movement and injuries, which was like the big selling point was, you know, the non-contact injuries they were kind of going under. And, like, you know, at Stanford especially, like, no one cares about rugby. Not, sorry, guys, sorry, girls, but, like, it's the football, it's the basketball, it's the Olympic sports. Like, you know, if Stanford was a country, they would have more medalists than half the countries in the world, right? So it's, like, you know, a couple guys just trying to knock skulls, getting, like, a really good degree. Um, so my, like, my, you know, initiation into the sport was very, like, surface level i knew as much as someone could know i know there's pockets in the northeast and in canada where rugby is a little bit bigger in ontario it's not too too bad obviously nowhere near the magnitude as you know like like the uk or even australia to a certain degree but um you know i knew like the all blacks i maybe could like throw out like a hawk a move here and there if i had to try and scare someone but that was it uh, but then the patient was just like it, it, it's no different than taking on any other sport, really. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a summary of, of of skill and strength. It's a it's understanding like just the shapes and the systems. And if you look at those like through the kaleidoscope of the two lenses that they like those dimensions of like you know skill and strength, and you look at size and like size and shape or shape and system, you can kind of derive a program. So it was it was interesting because it was definitely I was pigeonholed at that particular moment in time just working with like a powerlifting exclusive community had a handful of like world record holders that i just you know happened to train with and like just kind of really got dropped into that full full steam ahead so it was nice to have something so dynamic like rugby pulling me back in where you got to think sprint mechanics you got to think long-term periodization you got to look at risk management non-contact acls 
uh, you know, uh, position specific training, uh, you know, the schedule too of the student athlete, I thought brought a whole nother dynamic that I wasn't used to. So it was, it was fun, man. It was definitely like a huge catalyst for me. Yeah, dude, I remember playing. I was I was thankful enough to, to, to get a sports scholarship at college to go to probably kind of like one of the top five uh, rugby schools uh, in England, which was fucking ace. It was really, really cool. But like for me, like that was that was the biggest step up. You know, I was training uh, maybe two, three times a week, usually outside with club and kind of county and stuff. Going into that, dude, I was I went from training two two times a week to five times a week, plus training at weekends, and then everyone's fucking going out and getting fucked up afterwards on a Saturday night, <laughs> and then waking up on Sunday and trying to do it all again the next week, you know what I mean? So it's really interesting that you bring up that dynamic, because I, for one, was like, man, this is fucking crazy. We've now got sprints on a Monday, we've got games on a Tuesday, weight session on a Wednesday, so how do you approach that? Obviously you've got this multi-directional reactive sport as opposed to, you know, powerlifting, which is the complete fucking opposite. You know what I mean? It's like, how do you then take those skills, apply them in here whilst balancing out kind of that risk factor, that kind of, there's always that kind of negative return on investment, isn't it? It's like, yeah, you can keep on going and going and going and going, but then when it comes out to game day, they're probably going to be playing like shit. The CNS is probably going to be a little bit fucked up. Like, where did you find that balance and how long did it kind of take you to kind of get into that groove with the players? Because, of course, everyone's a fucking individual as well. So no one works off the same schedule. Yeah, and that's hard too. Like, I don't think you're really, you're not a strength coach until you've had a session of 30 teenagers looking at you going, all right, what do we do? And the <laughs> thing with me, like, for, for me in the Silicon Valley, to build buy-in, you had to be smart. Right. So my job prior to that was a chiropractor at Apple's corporate wellness center in Cupertino at their world headquarters. So like, you know, the, and it's found me well long-term, but like you need to dispel with a lot of what you think, you know, really quickly, because you don't know how to explain it. And it's only going to drive a wedge between you and in a corporate setting, your patient or in a team setting, your athlete, especially like no word of a lie, man. Like <laughs> I remember, cause I bumped into her like literally a handful of times, like physically, like at a water fountain, like, like bumped into her as a person. So I had some athletes that would come to me that were pursuing an MBA that would, the class before they came to session was like, was held by the lecturer was Condoleezza Rice, who was the secretary of state of the US government of the book. Fuck. You know, are they walking some fucking meathead like with like a bicep pump? Like, oh, who the fuck is this guy? And it's like, look, you know, Condi can fucking, you know, recite the Constitution backwards in Latin if she wanted to. It's like you need to know, you know, the reasoning behind what you're doing because they're they're curious kids. They're fucking brilliant kids, right? Like it's they're going to be Forbes 500 CEOs and all this. So it was just for me, it was really like, okay, throw out everything you can explain and rebuild from there, almost like a like a like a uh, you know a Rene Descartes dualism like I think therefore I am like just yeah. dispense everything so it, it really like you know I had uh, eight nine years of school under my belt I trained a lot I trained with a lot of people but I was like you get thrown in and you have some like brilliant kid asking you about like why this exercise not this one and it's just like I don't know. Holy fuck. I don't know. How do I not know? <laughs> and so it's like, all right, start from scratch. And that's where, that's where it really started to get, like, I think the, honestly the most powerful thing I did that helped me out of the gate to get by and was say, I don't know. And then next week when I started to layer back the, you know, my fucking psyche that was just shattered by like a 17 year old girl <laughs> was like, okay, this is why we're doing that. And I know, right. It's like, okay. Like, 
you know, it, in their mind, it might be different, but it, they could understand the reasoning, right? Like, oh, it makes sense. Like, that's all we're after. So that is, I think, something that, and like getting more now into the private sector and like deeper into the private sector and working with coaches one-on-one, I feel like now with the availability of good information, what people are trying to do is make it seem like, you know, that their coach or like as a coach or as a trainer, that their client or their athlete could never work without them, right? They're trying to overcomplicate. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the goal of a good coach is to make them to never want to, right? Like it's so simple and sophisticated sure. that the goal isn't to like make it so complicated they can't do it so that they don't want to do it without you, right? So I think that was a really like an eye-opening for like an experience for me was just like, I don't like I have like, I couldn't point at my degrees and be like, that's why go and i couldn't like point at my bench press and be like that's why i go it's like you're a fucking moron and they were yeah. right but yeah, that, that would probably say being able to say i don't know because then when i started to say i know and here's why they're like okay and then respect they start for questions it. after a while yeah yeah 100 percent uh it's uh I think it's it's a really interesting dynamic as well, and you probably found that especially with the with the kind of standard that the year round. You know, I was I was thankful to play with a few boys that would they would one hundred percent be in the national team by now, but because of uh, the schools that they were in and because of who's you know who they had as their dad and whatever, these guys that could have been like the fucking greatest athletes of all time are like stepping out in the last season to be like, hey, like dad's asked me to go and run his business up in London, and I'm gonna go and do this, and you're like what in the actual fuck and dude i'm sure you must have had that as a coach you're like this kid could be the greatest athlete of all time but it's like nah man daddy's this or mommy's that it's like they're never gonna do that and as a fucking snc coach you must just be like oh fuck no i had a guy it was funny i was on a podcast this morning i was just talking about this great dude i think he's tight end for the new orleans saints right now um, but I was working with him going into a pro day. Guys like fucking felt like John Cena as yeah. an 18-year-old kid. And like he broke the bench press record for the combine. Like smashed it. Like it was an animal. But I remember coming in and be like, hey man, like Shane, like, you know, you're gonna go. Like he's like, Yeah. But same deal, like his dad owns a head fund or something like that, or operated a hedge fund, and the kid has a smart like smart as hell and was like you know, I could go to the league, make 400, maybe 450 starting salary, but I could go to fucking Wall Street or I could go to Silicon like Valley and make the same. So, and I'm so not getting just, the shit smashed out of me every single fucking week. Not that he wasn't driven or wasn't a great athlete, but like at the same time, it's like, you know, I when I was I started, you know, volunteering at strength and conditioning at Palo Alto High School, which is right across the street from Stanford, right across from Barcadero's Pally High. Right. So Palo, Palo Alto Vikings and we had these kids and like their nannies are picking them up in like daddy's fucking Maserati. So Palo Alto is a really interesting community for those who have ever been to that part of California. It's divided by the 101 highway. So there's Palo Alto, which is to the west of the 101 and like, you know, a really bougie community. And then there's East Pali. So East Pali's hood, like real gangster shit. Like East Pali, this is how ghetto East Pali is. So when Ikea put in a store, they got a plot of land in East Palo Alto, just on the other side of the one, one-on-one. So you're driving up and it's literally just on the other side of the highway. And you can Google it. It might have changed now. But back in the day, someone from like HR was like, hey, you can't have a store in East Palo Alto. People aren't going to go. Like, what do you mean? Like, because all like the rich ass white people that live in Palo Alto will not go to East Palo Alto. Like they just won't do it. So Palo Alto, what they did or what Ikea did just to like lend some magnitude to like the contrast of 
community. They went to the city of Palo Alto, like, look, we're already committed to the store. The build is happening. It's going to be good for the community and businesses, whatever. We need you to actually rezone the parking lot so that when we pull it up on Google, it says Palo Alto and not East Palo Alto. That's like, so we'd have these kids like in high school. Like I remember this one kid, Michael Grundy. He was like six, four, maybe like 130, 140 kilos in the 10th grade. <laughs> like was just, you know, like mom worked a few jobs. It was kind of like, you know, just a scrappy kid could bench like, I don't know, 140, 150 kilos. And you had some kids that were just like, you know, they had all the athletes, they had everything going in their favor, but they didn't have the drive. And Mikey was like, he played three games this season. And then he, I, we showed up to one game, like, where's Mikey? He's like, oh, he fucking, some kid called his sister a slut. So he powerbombed him over the desk and broke his hip. And I was like, you can't teach that. You cannot teach that. It was the most <laughs> Like Mikey had him off like a finishing move and just fucking threw this kid from the top ropes. And it's like, you know, like you can take the, you can take the dog from the fight, but you can't take the fight from the dog. And it's just, it's hard to see kids like, you know, that weren't, you know, that maybe were a little, had better physical prowess or had, you know, had more opportunities, just like not have like that killer instinct. And Mikey's out there just making it happen, fucking TKO and guys with a people's elbow and like fucking homerooms, unreal. <laughs> and you see it all the way through, man. Like you see it, you see it all the way through the professional ranks as well. Like it's something about being the wolf on the side of the hill. Yeah, dude, there, there is definitely that mentality about it, isn't there? And it's kind of like, you want to kind of assert your spot and just let everyone know, like, what the fuck is going on. And I think, you know, I think that that's the thing that I think when you look at kind of maybe those more impoverished neighborhoods, there is that kind of mentality that's ingrained from a much younger age, you know, that fight or flight that, hey, if I don't kick the shit out of you and get out of this situation, it's going to be my ass on the floor. So it's like as soon as you take that mentality, well, if you can take that mentality, ball it up and wait till you cross over that white line, man, you're going to be a star. But it's like, I mean, it's the exact same. Like I knew kids over here that, you know, on the pitch were were fucking psychos, you know, would be breaking kids' collarbones with just simple tackles. And it's like, yeah, but then all it takes is for one person to say one thing and then there's fists everywhere and it's like red cards left, right, and center. It's like, okay, well, we need to take that and we just need to, like, reduce that down a little bit and refine it. And then when you got that, it's like, oh, man, like, you're going to go all the way with that. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, especially in sports like that, right, where, like, the aggression can carry you so far like there's a certain there's a certain power of will in those sports that if you're chasing someone down and you want to fuck you have enough broken fucking red wire blue wires not touching in your brain the psychology trumps physiology in a sport like that and peaking that in a training environment as well is something that's really interesting to take on yeah 100 percent. i think that's really interesting that you could that you kind of bring onto that because i think Obviously, with everything that I did in rugby, then coming across moving into into like uh, strength sports, so I've been competing in strongman for two years now. Hopefully, looking to to get my pro card in the next couple of years with a lot of work behind it. And it's like the 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 mentality shift again. Although there is that kind of you really got to get in there, it's a completely different connotation in terms of like stepping up to perform instead of being on the pitch and again reactive. You've got fourteen other guys around you. Instead, now it's it's you either in the gym or on the platform or on the bench or under the mono, whatever it is. And the only person that's going to get you there is you. And I think that's really, really interesting because, of course, every single sport has a completely different dynamic to it. So coming across into something like this where it's so isolated 
I think almost to an extent, you almost have to take that mind game to another level to be able to to, to keep up with it, right? A hundred percent, man. Like the like just look at look at mob mentality, right? Like you need no better example of what the power of other people can do to you know a human psyche than the last four months, right? Like that's that's not normal yep. behavior. Like people who <laughs> bricks in crowds of people who are throwing bricks that would never do it. Right, like they have a number. It's like once the seven thousandth person throws a brick, someone's number is seven thousand one. That's when they're up, right? It's kind of like a, a numerical way to quantify mob mentality. It's like we all have a number, and there's a few loose screws out there where the number is zero, and they're going to throw the first brick, right? But it's like you know, you you get you get seven guys in the field. You get you know, if you get ten guys on a field, you get fuck, uh, you get five guys on the ice, and all of a sudden it's like you know, they just fucking putting the war paint under the eyes and you're like go shit like this is this is building and it's building non-linear fashion yeah. right like five five dudes on a, on a field is not as equally dangerous as five individuals it's exponentially more dangerous like to the school the sum of the square you multiply by the sum of the square root of those number of people it's two and a half more time more dangerous if you have five guys it's you know, if you have 10 guys, it's three times more dangerous. Like it's, it's, it's something to be said. And you, and you know, like as you know, I've played team sports as well in hockey and you know, when it pops off, like you do things that you're like, I never would have done that, which makes you really proficient at your job. But you know, to step up in a situation where like no one's punching you or your friend in the mouth, but you need to harness an aggression that's similar to that experience and go to that state. Otherwise that bar is just going to stay on the floor. You're like, all right, here we go. Like, think, think of something real fucked up because this bar has got to go somehow. It's way, I man, like so much more difficult, especially with strongman too. Like, because the complexity of the tasks are so much greater than a barbell. Like, the I think the mental game is the strongest with with in a certain respects, like stronger. Yeah. Some ways it, it can be a little bit weaker because they're not exposed to as many variables. But there's something to be said about being able to put yourself in a place to do what you have to do by yourself. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things that until you're there and you've experienced it and you know what it feels like, you don't really know whether or not it's like kind of for you. And I think you see that. I, I, I like I haven't competed in powerlifting, but I'm sure you probably see it the same there. Like, dude, the the strongman game over here, especially like grassroots, is just riddled with people that are like, "Hey, man, I see Eddie Hall lifting this. I see Thor lifting this. I'm gonna give this a go." And they go out there and they get on the platform. It's like first event, and they're like why the fuck did I ever think this was a good idea? And it's like next year, they're just not around anymore. And it's like, yeah, because you kind of, you can't teach that. You can't be like excited for that. Like you have to be able to get yourself to that place because otherwise it, like you're just not going to be able to do it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the sport self-selects for like who's in it and who's not. And like, look, you know, some people are into chess and that's that's awesome. Some people are into powerlifting. like yeah, and I think you know, there's there can be it's it's hard because I think it's ingrained into the nature of people that gravitate to doing well at the sport. It can come off like a sport with a high barrier of entry because, like, from a social outsider's perspective, it seems like every broken fucking toy that's good at picking up rocks is also the scariest person ever, right? <laughs> you know, you're walking into a strongman gym as like you know an untrained individual, and they're actually like. You know, one of my buddies, Tyson Morrissey, owns a gym called Strong Geelong or Geelong in in the suburbs of of Melbourne. And my girlfriend's brother just moved out that way. And I was like, Nick, go train guy. He goes, just strong kid, a little wiry fucker. But 
they're like, go train at like at Tyson's gym. Like he wanted to get into lift weights. Like, no, I can't go there. It's like, dude, this is the only place you should go. Right. He's like, no, like the fucking, they're all like, you know, Tyson, they lift like 400. It's like, yeah, dude, it doesn't matter. Like if you, if you are of the same mindset and that's a place you want to be, that's the only place you can be. But it, it is an interesting self-selection process because you see people like, wow, you're never going to see that guy again. That was his first and only meeting. It's not, cause it's not like running a 5k, right? Like it's yeah. not like out for a few days it's like my soul is scarred yeah it's like okay we're, go we're gonna open up first event it's gonna be a max rep car deadlift and then we're gonna go into like a carry and then a yoke and then and you're like dude my spine has never known so much fucking loading in all of its life but it's in one day you know what i mean it's like it's a different different ball game yeah you guys are on another level man hats off to strong man I absolutely love it absolutely love it but then it also means that I, I get to do a few different things so I'm not just squat benching and deadlifting every single day so I've got, I've got, I've got a little bit there as well so I think it's uh, it, it definitely makes it a little bit more interesting in terms of like attention spans and stuff because yeah. I think I'm probably a little bit ADHD I can't just be doing the same shit day in day out fucking kill me man variety is the spice of life right <laughs> yeah exactly and it's, uh, that's really really interesting because I think you know obviously with everything that, that you put out there and again going back to how you approach things from lots of different uh, places like with your bodybuilding influences your powerlifting influences your Cairo influences i think it's really interesting because then that gives you a slightly different tint on on the eyes that you you see the world through um and kind of coming into like powerlifting obviously with all of the various different backgrounds you utilize a lot of bodybuilding movements you utilize a lot of different activations which i think is really really interesting and just kind of getting into that, do you feel like those various different influences from those backgrounds has helped you develop better, not only as an athlete, but as a coach? And if so, like, why and where has that come into play? Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm lucky, man. Like, I got, like, I have the best, like, I have the best friends just because, like, I've, I've just been in weird situations where like every person I ever looked up to, I now have their self. Like, and I pinch myself every day. Like, but is that like, dude? Like, cause you fucking worked your I, dick off for a long time to fucking get where you are. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I don't want to discount it. And I would probably punch someone in the mouth if they ever told me I was lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I've lived in a car. You know, I, I was in California. I had less than no money. I, I lived. I used to have to have a conversation with myself that if I walked to the grocery store. I could get more food, but I would expend more calories. I'd have to take more trips, but I'd spend less money because I wouldn't have to get gas. But if I got gas, I wouldn't spend those. I wouldn't expend those calories. I'd be able to get more food technically because I could carry it or load it in the car, but I wouldn't be able to load it in the car because I'd have to get gas and wouldn't be able to get food. So like I've had these Fuck. conversations, like yeah, like you know, I wouldn't <laughs> wish some of the situations I've owned my worst enemy, but like I just I'm like. You know, I have like an like a classical education and like going to an undergraduate degree and like, you know, pursuing graduate school. And but I think a lot of the stuff is just being able to like, you know, I was just lucky that the grad school I went to was 10 minutes from Boss Barbell Club. And my training partners on a regular basis were Emily Hu, Christy Hawkins, Dan Green and Andrew Herbert. I was the only guy on a Friday night that didn't have multiple world records. So I just sat as a fly in the wall, shut the fuck up. And then. You know, through Dan, I met like Ed Cohen and Jesse Burdick. And so it's like I got a Mount Rushmore of power. And then, you know, I became good friends with like Steffi Cohen and like early on in my powerlifting career. And, 
you know, just being to have her as a resource and then being able to teach for, you know, good life. And I get to meet like these diamond in the rough coaches. I don't even say diamond in the rough, but like people who are super into powerlifting. So like one of my close friends now, like Stu Locke is like, I think he's brilliant as far as coaching goes. And it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. Like, I think a lot of it is just being able to just be in the, be in the right room, like be at the right table, like, you know, to a certain degree, like, I didn't want to be the the smartest, like, don't be the smartest guy in the room. But it's like, I wanted to be the dumbest, fattest, weakest, out of shape guy in every room. And then I met Ben Pakulski and, you know, we went on, we went on the road and that was next level for me. Like he was someone I looked up to a lot. And I think the, the biggest thing for me was like, just giving those people like credit for the impact that they've had. Like, cause there's a synthesis. Like, I don't know, you know, I don't know many chiropractors who are powerlifters who are strength coaches and who you know (laughs) right well and it's like and then i also like don't know and i think a lot a big part of it is like what we do what we do is just about people right like i was just lucky enough that like you know because i know i know these people and i can pull from them as a resource so i think that's like my biggest thing is just like you know in pulling all this together it's really like the people that i've been able to learn from like the book learning and the experience i think is not something to be overlooked but like you can consolidate so much like in just like meeting people being able to talk to them and confer with them like in in real time like i don't need to read you know 700 pages to synthesize an idea around muscle hypertrophy i can just text message someone and be like hey dude what do you think of this? Like, no, you're dumb. You're way off the mark. Here's why. It's like, oh, wow, that just saved me a lot of time. Now I have time to think about something else. So yeah, I like, like you said, I don't want to like chalk it up to luck, but at the same time, like I'm pretty lucky to be in a situation where like those resources can be tapped on a fairly regular basis. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to discount the fact that there aren't heavy influences on what I know more so than any fucking diploma or certificate or anything I have for sure. Uh, yeah, I think it's really interesting that you say that kind of because I, I always talk about it and I've spoken about it multiple times on the podcast, having that kind of like that that humbleness, that sponge mentality to be like, okay, how about I don't know shit and let's take on board all of these various different things. And once I have this plethora of information, I then get to cherry pick what I want to prioritize and what I deem worthy for X, Y, and Z, whatever it might be. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's really interesting, like always having that little fish in a big pond mentality that actually, you know, only several years down the line when you still think you're a little fish, you look at the pond that you're in and actually you've learned so fucking much that you're the biggest carp in that pond. And it's like, okay, now I have all of the tools, which like you've been doing for several years and continue to do now to then take all that information that I've learned and then re-educate other people who maybe couldn't have been in those rooms with Dan Green, who maybe couldn't have been in that seminar with, with Cohen. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's that's what I fucking love. And, like, because it all comes from a place of passion and love, and you can see that, like, you're passionate about lifting, you're passionate about doing well, you're passionate about education, you're passionate about learning yourself, and that everything then comes across in what you do too and like i've heard you talk about it with like talking about social media and reinvesting in things to make things look better so then it catches people's eyes and attention and they take on board more information it's like when you have that you are when you have all that information you have a choice there to take everything and kind of pay it forward or kind of sit on it and be that coach that's like okay guys i've got all the answers to your question if you just want to hop on my patreon pay me 58.99 a month and do this and then there's that extra hidden fee and it's like 
bro, like, come the fuck on. Like, we're all just trying to get better as people. And that's what I love about you, man. I think it's really, really interesting. So as an educator, like, were you always someone that was hungry for education for yourself? Or were you always someone that kind of really enjoyed that process of, hey, man, let's try this out. I figured out this new thing, like, and then letting people experience it themselves. Yeah, I was, um, I mean, I'm always, like, I always maintain I was a guy. I used to say I'm like a, I'm an athlete first, but I think that's just evolved to I'm a meathead first. And in like cadaver lab, so like a large part of like the education that I got, it's like pretty entrenched in anatomy. So like I would spend nine months, and I spent the better part of four years in a cadaver lab, so just cutting open dead bodies and seeing what's under the hood, right? So like it was for me, yeah, fucking metalist. I couldn't Fuck, even pull so metal. Like, but yeah, but like it was like that to me was like. like I was like, holy shit, like this, I'll, I'll like cut open a shoulder dissection and look at it and be like, oh, like that's how the pec inserts. Like it's not this clean, you know, it's a fucking nightmare in there. And like you're cutting through fascia, you get a fresh one and you're trying to really like, and you see like, oh man, like this guy had like a torn supraspinatus or something like this dead body you're looking at. And like, it just changes the way, like, and I always just wanted to learn not to get smarter, but it's just to get fucking bigger. <laughs> like I remember... Dude, one of my best friends was a dude named Kevin High. We were in undergrad together. And he was like, your first day of undergrad, I was pretty heavy into training. I was like maybe 115 kilos in like first year undergrad. Was like, thought I was a big dog on campus. And I looked across and there's this other guy who's pretty jacked. We kind of like didn't like each other because like, is he bigger than me? Yeah, yeah. Like, the two jackedest dudes in a room that like. And then I remember like our first class was nutrition and then basically like we just hightailed it to the, the lecturers or the professor's office after and we had like some meat-headed questions about getting bigger and we were best friends ever since. So like, like I know a lot of information based off of the driving force that I always just wanted. I didn't want to get smarter. I give a fuck. Like I think my sister's like brilliant, like a real doctor, like doesn't just play one on Instagram. And my dad is like, his, his IQ is actually incalculably high. Like depending on the way the wind blows, like my dad is like off the spectrum, fucking smart. And I was the kid who was like getting into fights. Like, you know, I was, I was like drinking at 16 and just didn't give a fuck. And then I just wanted to get really fucking huge. And then I realized after 10 years of just chasing down, like, okay, I was in sport. I wanted to get faster. Okay. How do I do that? And I was like, you know, I don't know how to pay my taxes, which is like a huge concern. But like when it comes Fuck to it. like training stuff, yeah. So I think like that for me, it wasn't necessarily like, you know, a wantingness to learn because I think this is the hard part now. And it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing to teach, but I think we do it really well because, because so much information can be like summed up into sound bites and 140 characters or less or it's a good post, a good caption will get you a lot of traffic. Like what the fuck does that even mean, right? So I, and it's something that I, I have to, I struggle with cause it's like, I want to teach based off experience, but I need to teach people to have experience, which is tough, right? Like you can take a course and you can listen to me for 16 weeks, but it's like, dude, you didn't, you weren't in the office at 5am. You weren't in less than that same day in another office at noon. You didn't train at five with this guy. And then you weren't back in session until 10 PM. Like you have to go and experience it. Like a lot of people can hide behind, you know, like knowledge and sound smart on socials, but it's like, it's not, it's that gangster move, right? It's that training day. It's that no one, like, you know, it's, it's not about what you know, it's about what you can prove, right? It's like that American gangster shit. Right. It's that Frank Lucas 101. And I think that's it's tough, man. Like, because people don't, 
it's not a space where that resonates. Like it's not, it's academia and strength and conditioning is for people who never had like those two wires crossed, right? Those yeah. that suck. Like, hey, I'm gonna go do the yoke and I'm gonna do the carry and I'm gonna do the car deadlift. It's like the guy on the sideline going like, God, like the the angular velocity of his knee, like, bro. Just right yeah, man, just fucking like sums, yeah. just go. <laughs> Put the fucking tacky on and pick up the goddamn stone. You'll learn more about that stone than fucking angular velocity and ground con and don't get me wrong, like I dig on sports science huge, but I dig on it from an like applied standpoint. Like I can't I can't nerd out on science just for the hell of it. Like I nerd out on science when it's like, yo, look how jack this dude is, right? Like that's kind of where I'm at. These are just facts. <laughs> Right, man. It's just, uh, I think that's, it's a, it's a tough profession. It's, and I think it's only getting harder. And the nice thing is the industry is decentralizing away from standard education models because it just leaves a pissing match of fucking khaki polo tucked in new balance motherfuckers. And it's just like, nah, like the real ones are the ones in the trenches, man. Yeah, dude, like you completely and utterly hit the nail on the head there. It's, it's, it's so true. And it's, and it's interesting again, like, with the outreach of social media with the the day and age that we live the day and age that we live in whereas like you have education on a 24-hour stream at your fingertips from any source that you fucking want it you can drink from whatever fountain and whatever time of day doesn't mean it's going to be factually correct doesn't mean it's going to be evidentially supported it's just some fucking jack dude that is telling you that this is what you've got to do and i think again and i've spoken about this with numerous different people like social media is such a blessing but at the same time it's just like a fucking nightmare because you've got all of these people that don't have the education or haven't looked at the the, the data from the paper accurately or it's anecdotal and they haven't realized and they're putting out false information and it's like okay i'm now at a crossroads where as an educator i'm like okay do i now have to go into the trenches and be like look, motherfucker, this isn't right, this is what we should be doing, this is what we should be doing, or do you take the time and the attention, the focus to be like, okay, I've got to leave that, I can't fight that fight, I've got to then go on this path and just educate the people that are in this circle and just kind of leave these guys by the wayside, because that's, that's the fucking hardest thing as an educator, right? It's like knowing that you're leaving people out. Right, and I think it's funny, the more I do it, like, I, I try and teach from a first principles perspective. Like, I do, I remember the first YouTube video I put up, I was with a guy named Craig Caperso. He was he ended up being my training partner. He was like bigandbodybuilding.com. He had like a six-figure uh, supplement deal with Cellucor. Yeah, long look like Fabio. He was on every fucking Harlequin novel, smut, you know, basically weird like single Stepford housewife porn crap. Yeah. <laughs> it was a huge beauty. Like I owe, I owe everything to that guy because he really got me like, you know, started thinking of like how the business actually works. But like I remember this guy, like back in the day when when we were first training together, he was like, "Look, you can't be a hater," because like it's hard when resources are scarce. Like, and the more I get into it, like you know, I would look at someone like Kelly Starrett, like, "Oh, this guy's so fucking dumb." And the more I do like the stuff that I do, I'm like, "Yo, K Star's the goat, man!" Like he was able to relay, I think, a really intelligent message to a lot of people. Like, how oh, dumb yeah. am I? I don't have any followers? I don't have any money, and I was just resentful and bitter. But it's like, I, I learned from that early days. It's like, look, I just need to teach first principles. Because when me and Craig put up that first YouTube video on his channel, I was like, girl, like, what if a mean person on the internet thinks I'm wrong? And I'm just like, three days of no sleep hitting refresh on his fucking YouTube page. And I'm like, 
what am I doing? Yeah. Oh, wait. It's like, I realized that up to that point, I put so much thought into the content that it's like, okay, if there's, if there's a, uh, a lapse in interpretation, there's maybe 50 people on the planet who might be able to make an argument against whatever the fuck the video was. And those 50 people, I probably know half of them by name at that point, and the other aren't watching fucking Craig Caperso's YouTube channel. <laughs> So it's like I really started to move my content more first principles based. So like it's not a system. Like we definitely drive home critical thinking. But I do I do have a respect for those people who are like Lane Norton comes to mind. And like Lane Norton's a polarizing yeah. character. And and I've had the the pleasure to actually run into Lane a few times. And early on in the like my I'm going to call it a career because that insinuates that I have a job and that'll make my mom proud. Um, but like early on, it's just like I used to watch what he did, and I was just like, man, fuck this guy. And then you got to know him, but not only that, like you got to you scale a business in an industry that's so it's so entitled with people who think that you owe you something and like because they follow you on Instagram, and then you see him like you know he doesn't give a fuck. Like he'll call you out if you do some dumb shit, and it's like he's kind of a hero nobody asked for, yeah. but he's kind of, like I kind of respect it. So it's tough because like you know it is a small industry, right? And it's like when people are espousing this nonsense, I don't think anyone is doing it from a malicious standpoint. We're like, oh, like I'm going to do this, and a bunch of people are going to get hurt. <laughs> it's like you know, there's yeah. just varying degrees of experience and education, and they might not know the error in their ways, but they can sell it with such confidence. Like you're a holy, holy shit. Like I'm kind of jealous. Um, but yeah, I definitely try and lend more towards like, look. And this is why I do long form podcasts. This is why I like, you know, you know, the human side is so important. Like you can, you can self select for your like culture community by just what you put out. Um, so I tend to self select away from people who are, you know, of that easy influence. And like, I get pressed a lot with people who ask me a lot of questions because I ask a lot of questions. So it's, it's, it's tough. And every now and then, man, there's a couple of people that come to mind that one day when I snap, I'm just going to fucking like Mussolini from the balcony. Just let fucking rip. I'm going to name names like Jose Conseco. Like, it's going to be over. And I know like, I have a fucking Ronald Reagan list of people that I would have on. Like, but, you got a little you black know. book in like your fucking drawer by the side of your bed just writing names I mean, as you wait, could have at night. Like here's the thing, like in operating a business, it's kind of taught me like, look, I don't, I don't need more problems. I need more solutions, right? So if someone that works for me comes to me with a problem, it's like, you know, it can be frustrating. I put my palm in my hand. I know that there's a lapse of communication that's likely my fault, right? So I take that on and go, okay, I, I need, and I need you to come with a solution first and say this is a solution. Like I want to know the answer to the problem before I even know there's a problem. So I do that with social media. Like, dude, I half of my following, and you'll never guess which half it is, and I'm not gonna tell. Well, maybe tell you after. But I follow people purely for the fact that, like, look, they're gonna disseminate information that I think is incorrect. It may have a negative consequence. So if I don't grow my following to a point where it's like, look, I, I need to be able to deadlift more than these people. I need to be bigger. I need to be leaner. And I need to have a bigger following than these people because that's the currency of trust that we trade in, right? So no true, dude. Fuck about my degrees. No one gives a fuck about my experience. It's like, well, you know, this guy's got a pretty sick pump. He makes a pretty good point, right? So it's like, it's on me. So if there's like someone out there, there are people out there that disseminate bad information, I haven't done my job to grow my network and my, you know, I have, I don't have enough touch points on the internet for someone to land on my doorstep over theirs and not give them a good enough reason to 
listen to my solution. Not be like, that guy's a fucking moron. It's like, I might think that, but okay, what, what, what is he wrong about? What's the correct thing? And rather going like, X, this guy, red X, green check, yeah. It's like, oh man, like, here's, like, I don't even address it. And if someone goes like, wait a minute, someone so did a video like this. It's like, fucking at me, bro. Like, come on, like, that's the thing. And then people forget, right? Like people forget that there's a real world on the other side of that cell phone. It's like, you know, I thought about being unimpeachable. Like, you want to dance? Like, you know, everyone's got a plan to get punched in the face, homie. Like, this is this is where I'll be. So, I mean, it's a little bit extreme, but I think that's that's where I've evolved to is like, I'm just going to offer a solution. I'm not going to bring the knives out on socials. I'm not going to go for the throat. You know, people I do think are fundamentally trying to help. It's in our nature. So I'm going to I'm going to play to the better angels of our nature and I'm just going to help the best way I can and understand if someone else is beating me, it's because I'm not paying enough diligence to what really matters and getting that message across. Yeah, and I, I absolutely love that because I feel like the, the way that you've kind of spoken about that is kind of very rep reminiscent of kind of you go back maybe like 10, 15 years ago and you have kind of the very standard maybe like national like men's health men's fitness magazine or whatever where you're getting a lot of information like some of it is kind of like on point but some of it you're kind of like this really doesn't make much sense at all and then you kind of get like muscle and fitness comes out like teenage articles comes out and everything gets a little bit more specialized and you're like right these motherfuckers know what's going on like th this this is who i need to be following this makes sense because they're going okay well a, B, C, D, here are all the facts. This is how you can train if you want to. These are the results that you're going to get. There you go. Make your mind up. And I love that, like you said, because <laughs> we live in a day and age where it's like fucking skinny gym that's got 3 million followers, like cracking six pack, shredded obliques, you know, sponsored by Gymshark. No poo-poo on Gymshark, but you know what I mean? Like, that aren't necessarily have, like, they don't have the education. It's just like, a, hey, I'm just going to do like, hang inside need raises and look at how sick my obliques look because they're all baby oiled up it's like yeah but like is this really what we should be doing with our time when the vast majority of people could be using like shit that you're putting out for the better of their own training and it's that toss-up isn't it yeah it's it's always it's a tough line and i think a lot of it like if you take ownership over it it's just like look these are the rules of the game right win the game and like, I think being an athlete has helped me navigate the social media space in that sense where it's like, look, I'm not going to be able to change it. Like, this is what sells. So guess what? Like, you know, there's going to be a time where you get super lean. There's going to be a time where you get super strong because that's going to be like social following is like, it's literally currency, man. If you think of what the definition of currency is, currency is trust, right? There's all, there was a huge hesitation in going away from the gold standard and introducing like paper currency. And that and we're experiencing a reiteration of that with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, right? Cause it's, we don't know how to quantify trust. Right. right. And it's, that's we, with socials, it becomes easy. It's likes, followers, subscribers, downloads, right? Like that's tags, story mentions. Like it's really, it's a new currency that we don't know how to trade in. Yeah. Right. So it's like, this is not gonna. This and is it's not all gonna KPIs go. that can be tracked really fucking easily as well with the click of a button that you could just see that visual representation right there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's like, and from a business standpoint, like, look, these are these are tools at your disposal, and like some people, like, they think they're being purists, right? Like, you know, I definitely I was born of the old guard. Like, I still remember getting my first computer. Like, I'm yeah. thirty. Like, I remember, dude, I remember getting this fucking MP3 player when I was in like 
the eighth grade, ninth grade, and it could either fit like three Blink-182 yes. songs, Metallica song, because if one was like eight minutes long, <laughs> two minutes long, yes. like, All right, it's a week of like off of like the Blink Down album, or it's going to be Stairway to Heaven for a week until I do figure out how to do this again. But it's like, you know, it's hard, and you can see it a certain degree, but like I was, I definitely grew up, I think, to be in one of the last, like you could be like you could have an inception into training and like learn to or manifest a passion for training without any peripheral uh, pat on the back, without any double tap, without any anything, right? Like I didn't get an Instagram account until I was in grad school, right? And I even then like you know I wanted to pay it pay it forward to like you know the OGs that did it in the dark, right? To like the the Kirk Kowalski's who were squatting a, a thousand for two in some dusty gym in Maryland where they're like someone no, no one up. fucking knew about <laughs> no, no, and the thing is no one cared what they did and they're like that's yes. the sickest ever man like I think of what some some people did behind closed doors when no one ever saw it. and I've dude, the, Andrew Herbert squatted 970 in training and didn't film it and I'm like dude like I could cry just thinking about that like it was it was there was eight of us in the gym Seven were spotting him. He was lifting. There wasn't a camera in sight. And I mean, all of us, the minimum squat, I think it may have been me with a 750 pounds, 355 kilo squat. <laughs> and was like, and it was just like the, the uh, seven of us will have that forever. Like, man, the times Herbie fucking annihilated a world record in training and no one was, it was like Zen almost, like if a tree falls in a forest and no one's like, <laughs> It falls in a gym and no one's around to record it. Like they didn't make a world record. But now it's like, you know, seeing the other side of the coin, like in trying to pay it forward, it's like, look, I have to like, you know, I, we recorded a video today in a gym and the guy that owns the gym in the small town in Australia, we're in, he's like, he's OG. But I was like, hey man, like, you know, really respectful. Like, you know, if it's not too busy, I have a camera come in and go in the corner. He's like, but he's like, no, I, I get it. Right. Like, you know, cause the the old guard that goes no cameras it's like what if i came in and said i gotta turn off your lights sorry man i don't like lights it's like well i can't run a gym it's like well i can't run a business without this stuff right like you know i'm a fucking i, I literally do a hand to god on my open tab right now is a computer science like a, a edx harvard cs50 course because like this is like i know i mean i know there's always more to know about training but like where is this where is this landscape getting played in it's media and technology like okay social media got that labor i can i can delegate that but technology it's like i don't know enough all right so i don't i'm not going to go into some advanced anatomy course i'm going to learn computer science and like i'm learning how to code because like this is where the game gets played this is where the battles get won so into the trenches i go man it's and like i fucking hate computer science but i love the idea of being able to educate like you know scaling influence like you know, I can teach trainers and coaches and therapists that will all go out and t and have, you know, a thousand clients or a thousand patients in like their career and they can make decisions based off what I taught them. Like the idea of having meta impact and now my rate limiter is technology. Fuck, I, I don't like the idea of, you know, binary, you know, you know, the letter A is actually zero, zero, one, zero, zero, one. It's yeah. number six, five through bits or bytes or whatever the fuck. Like, I didn't know that. And somehow that's going to help me relay a message about fucking, you know, a great anterior or rib cage mechanics. And it's like, I love painting it. This is the frontier that we're playing on, I think.
Yeah, 100%. Uh, that's is so interesting. Like, oh, Especially when you're saying all of that, because all of my best friends are all computer scientists, and I grew up, like, around that. So, so like, for me, I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that seems pretty normal. For, like, everyone else, it's like, dude, you might as well be speaking fucking Latin, do you know what I mean? But then it's, like, it's so interesting, because you're like, it's then taking that and then translating that through into that language that someone else can speak, putting it into layman's terms for someone to be like, oh, right, okay, so... I'm just going to tuck this ribcage down. I've got to bring this in. And it's like, right, okay, now we've finally got there. But it's like, you've had to go through that whole translation process to be like, look, okay, this is what we really need to be doing. And this is why. And this is how you're going to understand it. And then this is how you're going to apply it. And I think, dude, along that fucking road, there are so many speed bumps. There are so many forks where you can go off and just get completely distracted and kind of give across the wrong information that I think taking that raw information like many of those guys did way 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 back you know i'm thinking like back in the soviet times taking those texts and then translating them and giving them through it's like th that's what we have in this day and age but it's not like soviet text it's like all of this shit we already know but we just can't use it properly yet yeah because i think and this is something i've talked about a lot recently it's like there's there's a push now to be like to go back to the basics and i think the biggest misconception is that the basics are simple the basics aren't simple the basics are sophisticated as fuck, and the people who are really good at them make it seem simple. And I always draw this comparison. So when I was working in the Silicon Valley, like I was a chiropractor at Apple. So like you saw everyone from like the guy that worked at the cafeteria in in the like in the Infinite Loop in like the major building to you know the CEO of the company. Like you literally saw every walk of life, which was pretty amazing. And I remember getting this guy who came in, and I was asking him what he did. And he told me, he's like, oh, like, you know, have you ever seen an Apple billboard? I look fucking blind to you. Of course, I see you guys with billboards everywhere. Are you serious? Like, I can't, I can't take a shit without seeing an Apple billboard. And it's like, well, I designed those. So I work in the marketing team. I, I helped design the billboards. And I laughed at him. And I was like, do you got the, bro, are you serious? You're the easiest job ever. And he's like, he kind of turned his head to the side and like shook his head. He was a super nice dude. And I was like, <laughs> thank fuck. I'm like, like, yo, and the, the wall was white behind me and I obviously had an iPhone and you know, working there and I was like, yo, I got your billboard right here and I like put the phone up against the white backdrop of the wall. I'm like, eh, eh, because that's all Apple billboards are, man. Like next time you drive down the motorway, like just look, it's just a black phone on a white backdrop. And then he's like, do you have any idea how many iterations of one of those billboards it takes? He's like, like literally thousands. And, I'm like, what? and he'll pull up on his, he pulled up on his phone all the different ways that you know they change the angle of the light or you change the angle of the phone or change the position of the logo and he's like this is probably one of the most sophisticated jobs in the company this is as hard as you know microprocessors and chips and and you know um, magnetic frequencies or EFR or any of that and I was like holy shit and then it kind of clicked it's like look when I send a program to a client it's gonna be rep sets tempo rest period duration notes right and it, you could see, someone could have, I could guarantee you in a parallel universe, there's someone out there who's written the exact same program as me, but not from a sophisticated standpoint. And it's probably not landing in the person's inbox that it should, right? <laughs> it's like, it's what's beneath the hood. It's what's below the surface. Like there's so much to the basics that is so sophisticated, but we're, we're like oversimplifying things. It's like, no, no, no. It's, it's like people always like, there's a great quote by Neil deGrasse Tyson. It's like the universe is of no obligation to make sense to you. And I think the human body is much very similar to that where people are yeah. like, like, oh, it's so simple. You can just squat. It's like you 
You motherfucker, how dare you say that about the thing that I've dedicated half my life to? It's not. We might make it seem so, and that's the art. And I think when we start to appreciate it as an art, equal parts art and science, or in some parts more art than science, I think we get back to that that sophistication that really makes it worth doing. Yeah, 100%, 100%. It's so funny, isn't it? It's like, obviously, you, like you, you take a client through something or you take someone through something and they go, wow, man, like you made that look so much easier than it was. And it's like, well, yeah, motherfucker, I've been doing this nearly every single day for the last 12 years. Like, do you do you really think it, it, if it's still looking difficult at this point, I probably should be fucking teaching you this. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, <laughs> it doesn't really make much sense. Um, now, like, I love to wrap up the podcast in the same way with absolutely everyone because I think it's really interesting to get everyone's standpoint and I'm really, really excited to kind of see where you're going to come at this from. So for, for a split second, I want you to imagine that you are stepping into a time machine and that you're taking a step back in time. You get to visit your younger self when you're maybe 10, 11, 12 years of age, uh, very influential age, you've got your whole life ahead of you, you've got a whole mountain of shit that you've got to get through before you get to where you are today. In the few moments you spend with your younger self, you get to impart a bit of wisdom, knowledge, maybe a mantra to live by, a way to live your life. Some advice. What do you give yourself in those last few moments to help your younger self get through all that shit to where you're currently sat today? Nothing. Say nothing. Just that silence. Nothing. Staring down. Well, oh, man. Like, I, it's funny. I've iterations of this question have crossed my desk and I think at a certain point once you like at 30 all of a sudden you're like oh fuck like I'm, th I'm a third of the way through a good life or halfway through a really good life <laughs> we'll, we'll see when I die but like it's just like I wouldn't change like yeah I've had some shit you know like anyone does fuck I mean you don't need to look far to listen to someone you can talk to a guy in a bus he'd probably tell you a story that you wouldn't fucking believe some atrocious thing that's happened to him or his family so it's like I wouldn't change it because I think the problem with this question is to to make a change is to insinuate that you're not happy with where you are right now, right? And I think that's my like sort of like metaphysical wrapping of my head around like this question because yeah. it does seem a little bit timeless, doesn't it? Like it is a it is almost up there with like what is the meaning of life? Like what would you do to your younger self? And it's like, dude, I'm stoked! Like every like literally like every time we get to do something like the first thing she hears it 10 times a day like i'm so excited to do this like i'm so excited like, i'm so excited to go to the gym today like i'm so excited to like go train tomorrow i'm so excited to get coffee in the morning and it's just like she's like yeah i get it like okay great <laughs> like, i mean like we're super lucky in the sense that like we get to fuck this is like work if yeah. i had to like if i had to expense bandwidth for this I'd be like wow you know it's clearly you know, it was a part of a marketing thing and we're with the, <laughs> bottom line like this was work and, and i was like fuck that so that's all and it's all i'm always hesitant or i'm always like reluctant when people answer that question in any different fashion and it's like there's better be a follow-up question to that as far as like what like why like why would you like i mean again like i've probably had easier lives than probably 99.999 percent of people and the shit that has happened to me was probably my fucking fault anyways like let's not over let's not forget that but I think lessons learned along the way. So I'm stoked with where I'm at right now. So I don't know, 10 year old yeah, stuff. Uh, nothing, man. I, I would just sit there and kick the ball around with them, sort of thing. And that would really be the end of it. Like, I fucking I love know. that. Cause I, like, at the end of the day, like from where I sit and all the different people that I get to speak to, I think you're, you're 100% right when you're saying that. But for me, more than anything, it's, it's, it's perspective and it's perspective in the macro, but it's also intra perspective as well. 
sort of perspective in terms of like the decisions you've made and how that's impacted you and how that's then changed your life moving forward i think you know life is very very reactive and actually like i don't get asked a question much myself but if i was to respond i would pretty much say the exact same thing you did there because i i personally am a firm believer of the everything that has happened has happened to get you to where you are today and if any of that shit changed who i am sat here now saying what i'm saying i wouldn't necessarily be on the same path i wouldn't have the same mentality and fuck yeah i've done some bad shit but like i like myself enough as a person who i am right now do you know what i mean like i wouldn't want to change who i am right now because hey i fucking like it dude I think that's the way to go. And I think if your answer, and look, I'm not a, I'm not a shrink or anything like that, but if your answer is any different, like you might want to reconsider where you're at and where you're headed. Cause like the last thing I'd want to be doing is like chasing myself in these hypothetical decade after decade. Like, Oh, if I only knew this when I was 20, it's like, fuck, yeah. dude, like you gotta evaluate where you're at. But yeah, it's an interesting question, man. And like, you know, the metaphysical stuff, it just, it just starts to grip you a little bit more as you get older. And it's just like the idea of perspective, perspective is all relative. Right. And I like, you know, I, yes. I always like to think like perspective is relative in the same way time is relative, right? Like think of like watching, oh, what's that fucking movie? Uh, Interstellar, right? Where the one they go on that one island to get or one of that one planet to get the one guy. Yeah. This giant wave. Meanwhile, like the black dudes up there, like yo, it's been eighty fucking years. Like where guys, is everyone? It was like seven minutes. I right? this idea of like relativity. So you can't project perspective on a ten-year-old because it's all relative. Right. So it's, it's just, I don't know. It's fun. Like I love going into those kind of metaphysical rabbit holes and like the yeah. older you get, I think or you start to, to, to like draw and pull from them. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a, it's, that's a great question to ask. And it's one that like, I think I have a hard and fast answer and it's one that's good to kind of like re-ask and reiterate because if any of those iterations are start to deviate away from that answer, then it's like, Oh shit that's that's an issue like you gotta you gotta keep an eye on your mind sometimes because yeah, it's falling off the fucking gets up shit when you're not paying attention to it that's for sure yeah a hundred percent enjoy man thank you so much for doing this brother i fucking could literally speak to you all day long it's been an absolute pleasure man i know you are crazy crazy busy with everything you've got going on at the moment but thank you for doing this thank you for all of the education that you're doing thank you for all the content they're putting out there the both of you with pre-script everything you guys are doing on ig man it's fucking awesome and hopefully a lot of people are learning from it and growing as athletes and uh dude hopefully everyone's leveling up at the same at the same rate because i think we've got we've got some very exciting years of not only of competition but of uh, of learning ahead of us too man so thank you for everything that you're doing dude i do appreciate you having me on man appreciate you taking the time it's been fun